Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh, mercy! Five, four, three, two, one. Hello, everyone, and welcome into the Mass and All Access podcast. Bobby Blanco and Paul Mancano with you. As always, Paul, it's been a busy day up here in the Mass and Web Studio. Has really been a busy day with uh, going back and forth between. We were on TV on the Orioles side of things. Right. Um, you were on the radio on the Orioles side of things. I was on the radio, and uh, the Nats lost again. Working uh, double day games on a Thursday, double getaway games for our, our respective teams. And yeah, um, running out of things to say about these here Washington Nationals. Um, another gut-wrenching loss. I mean, Paul, we're getting to a point where it is just truly unbelievable. There are only so many ways you can describe how to lose a baseball game, and the Nationals have fulfilled them all. And, 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 and you know, we're going to talk about how we each feel where the team is going, where they should go, um, what has happened, how do we get here, whose fault, who should take the blame. Um, I think there really are, in terms of the blame, no wrong answers. I, I, I think everyone's <laughs> everyone's at fault in some way or another. You know, we've been talking throughout this series, this four game series in which the Nationals got swept in New York by the Mets. You know, it feels like every other night we're having a discussion. Well, they should have done this. Well, they should have done that. Well, you can really point to this, and and it's just the the team is bad. They're not playing well, and the standings show it. They are now only. One and a half games out of last place in the National League East. Last place. Not first place. Last place. They are only one and a half games better than the Miami Marlins, who, by the way, have won five games, six games, excuse me, in a row, and are coming into D.C. this weekend for a four-game series. It's not good. Not good. How many are they out of first place? Nine and a half? Nine and a half. And that's dependent on the Phillies score? The Phillies play today. Yeah, they're playing the uh, Cubs. The as Cubs. We speak. They're up. In, they're up in the sixth at the time of this recording. So, so it could be ten. Ten. It games. could be ten by the end of the day. Double digits on it's May twenty third. You say there are no wrong answers, and everybody's kind of at fault. I agree with that. Some are more at fault than others. De- abso- yeah, definitely. I mean, it, look at this. Yeah, past uh, today. Thursday, Steven Strasburg had a great outing. Um, the other night, Steve uh, Max Scherzer pitched not as deep as he usually goes, but still six scoreless innings with nine Ks. You've got to find ways to win these ball games. I mean, their records, the records are atrocious, but the records in these games where their their veterans and 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 their aces and all stars are going out there and pitching decent to if not really good outings, and they're and they're letting them slip right through their fingers. It's it's like. These are the games, especially as a, as a struggling team, you have to find a way to pull out because your your best guys are giving – talking about starting pitching, your best guys are giving them their all every day out. And then, you know, I mean, they can't go out and pitch nine innings every day. You, you Help needs to come from somewhere. We've talked about it at nauseum this year, Paul. It feels like whenever the starting pitching – pitches well, well, the lineup doesn't hit. Whenever the starting pitching in the lineup does well, the bullpen falters. Whenever the bullpen finally gets its act together, the lineup can't score runs. It's just they have not been able to put together solid baseball outings all season long. No, and at a certain point, 
look, if you're still a few games out of first place, then you lick your wounds and you try to figure out what's wrong, I think. And, you know, they, they should do some evaluation. But when you're in the middle of a disastrous part stretch like this, you almost have to just kind of look forward. Like, you, you can't. So, I, I mean, on this podcast, I think we can, it would take us at least an hour to go through every little thing that has gone wrong with them over the past few weeks because there are myriad. Uh, but at, at a certain point, you are what you are, and you are what your record is. and You are who we thought they were. Yeah, exactly. And you have to look forward and say, all right, if we, you know, if we can't fix this, how can we fix it the other way? How can we sell off the pieces that we need to in order to get back to contention in 2020? If we can't right the ship in 2019, we have to look forward. And at this point, Bobby, you said a week ago that uh, Memorial Day was going to be your cutoff date the day that they need to self-reflect. But it could not have been a worse week. No. So (laughs) everything, and like I knew at the time when we were talking about it, like what I'm saying is riding on so much, mainly victories, right? Like they have to win these games. But like I said, like I said back then a week ago, two weeks ago, the schedule, quote unquote, is in their favor. You know, you would think that finally, it leads up a little bit because it has been brutal through April, through this first the first week or so in May, and you look at after their LA trip. Yeah, you had the Cubs, but then you've got seven games against the Mets. You have the Marlins this weekend, the Braves next weekend, and starting series in Cincinnati against the Reds. All teams that are struggling, maybe not as much as the Nationals. You can say definitely say not as much as the Nationals, and in terms of the Marlins, only a half, one and a half games behind, but. Still teams that you would think on paper, at least we thought so at the beginning of the season, the Nationals were better than yeah. and should be able to win these games. Well, the, I, I think there's... And they're not, and they're just not. The What might be even worse than the fact that the Nats just got swept by the Mets is the fact that they came into the series, these two t- teams came into the series, basically, this was like a make-or-break series for two teams. Both yeah. managers, you could argue, were at least in the public's eye on the slippery seat. You could argue that they needed to win. You know, whichever team was going to lose this series might lose their manager, might have to start looking at selling, might have to make some radical change within their organization. And the Mets aren't that team. The Mets came into that series just having gotten swept by the Marlins. The the fans wanted Mickey Calloway run out of town, and now they have given the Mets life. They have put the Mets within one game of 500. They've put them right back within four games of the NL East. They they needed to <laughs> beat them in this. Like, they needed to surpass them. Yeah. They The Mets came in an utter dumpster fire over the last week, and the, the Nats said, hold my beer. Right. Yeah, and, and to make matters worse, it's not like the Nats came in and just got their butts handed to them throughout all four games, they had chances to win they lost, at least three out of these four. They lost in the most heartbreaking fashion. In th- I mean, they, the, the eighth inning gave up those wins. Tuesday, Wednesday, today, Thursday, the Nats had the lead in the eighth inning and blew them all. Yeah. Late inning comebacks, comebacks. I don't know if you want to call it a comeback as opposed to the Nationals giving up. I mean, we could talk about that too. Well, and it's not just the, the bullpen. Like, <laughs> And the bullpen is going to get the brunt of the blame, but the Nats today blew about 80 opportunities, I and mean, they did all series. All series. This Today, Thursday, first five innings, 
they had runners in scoring position, not just on base, in scoring position, meaning second or third base, and they didn't score a run. Yep. Juan Soto, top of the second, leadoff triple, doesn't cross home plate. That cannot happen. First inning, Adam, Adam Eaton, Eaton slips, miss first doubles base. down the left field line, misses first base, has to go back in first base, and then he ends up on third, doesn't score. What yep. should have happened, he would have doubled, and then a, the base hit later on in the inning scores him, and the Nats take a 1-0 lead. And then you 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 score Soto in, in uh, the second inning, give yeah. a do-nothing lead, and Strasburg is shoving. It was just... Uh, it feels like they, you know... People have said that they're cursed this year. It feels like they've become a parody of themselves. Yeah. Like they have gone so far beyond what we think they are at this point of a team that blows leads in the eighth inning, of a team that wastes great starting pitching and, and underperforms on offense, and they've, they've gone further than that. They, at this point, it's, it's almost comical the way that they have been able to lose these games. Talk about snatching defeat from the draws of victory. They do that nightly now. And Literally three nights in a row. Yeah, and at some point, it's it's you are what you like. At some point, it's not luck. It's not one aspect not playing up to snuff and letting the rest of the team down. It's the whole team. It's the whole team. It's it is the whole team. And you you mentioned earlier that there are guys that shoulder probably probably less of the blame than others. And one of those guys coming into the series, Sean Doolittle. Sean Doolittle yeah. has been easily the best pitcher in the Nationals bullpen, and and criticisms coming at Davey Martinez and probably rightfully so but still Wednesday night Davey Martinez on the face of it pushed the right buttons he brings in Sean Doolittle with two outs in the eighth to get a four out save in the right moment and Doolittle has his rough routing and you cannot expect and we talked about this morning when we first got into the office ball recapping last night you know Yes, it's Sean Doolittle's fault, and and he took it like a professional. He he wore it. He had, he he you know took full responsibility, but at the same time, it's like you know he's been expected to do so much this season because of how bad the rest of the bullpen has been. At some point, you figured it was going to come back and haunt him. At some point, he was going to crack. You cannot keep expecting him to get four out saves day in and day out. This isn't the postseason. Yeah. You know, this is May baseball. We're still. They're just over a quarter of the way through the season. There's still so many games. You cannot expect him to keep going four out outings every single time when he's your closer. And, and it eventually caught up to them. And even though it was the right decision, it didn't pan out the right way because maybe Sean Doodle is being overworked because he's had to pick up so much extra slack from the yep. bullpen because they're not picking up their slack from the starting pitch. I mean, it's yep. just the, that complete domino effect that we've been talking about all season long. It's a shame because after the game, he more than Ward, he said he let his team down. He was disgusted. He was distraught. Yeah. yeah. And you feel for the guy because, look, he let his team down that one night maybe, but the team let him down all season by putting him in that situation, putting him in a situation where he's overworked, where he's having to get a save in a close one-run, two-run game almost nightly. Yeah. Uh, and that that is the team letting him down. And it's, it's rare that guys – go through whole seasons, closers go through whole seasons without having some kind of awful blown save like that. It happens. Um, And he came in in a situation where also, you know, it's not like he was given a clean inning. He also had runners on first and second where he came into the game. That doesn't excuse him giving up that uh, hit by pitch and then giving up that homer. But that's a tough situation. I think it was a a double in the game. Or a double, rather. That's a tough situation. And it's, 
you know, that, that doesn't excuse him doing that, but still it's, it's, that happens when, when, you know, that happens to almost every closer, every single closer, it, Mariano Rivera blue saves, like it happens. Yeah. And it's a shame because of when it happened, the fact that the team desperately needed to win that night, yeah. that it made it, you know, that blow and save look worse because he has not, he has not been guys having more responsibility than others for this losing streak. Sean Doolittle holds in my mind next to no responsibility. You know, the, he's the reason that they've won half of the games that they have. Yeah. And, and we talked about how before he has, maybe aside from Patrick Corbin, has like one of the highest war, and Anthony Rendon has one of the highest wars on this team in terms of his wins above replacement. Um, but back to that that inning where you're talking about Sean, you know, yes, the hit by pitch on the first pitch of the batter, the first batter you see is inexcusable. I agree. And Sean would agree with that too. But Bo Porter, Nat's extra postgame show that that night, he was saying, hey, yes, that's a hard hit ball in the gap, but Juan Soto and Victor Robles were very out of position mm-hmm. in terms of defending that ball. That ball, he said, with two outs in that situation, you need to be playing no doubles baseball, everything in front of you. Yeah. You're playing closer to the wall. Um, and, and he said that ball, when the ball's in the air like that, in that situation, it has to be caught. Yeah. And if anything, it has to be land in front. Of, if it's going to land, has to land in front of you. Hold them to a single. Hold them. Yeah. Hold the runners and not let it be a bases clearing hit. And it just again, it's kind of one. It just yes, it's Sean Doolittle's. He he rightfully so. You know, took it like like, like a professional. Admitted it was his fault. But at the same time, it just also kind of just folds over into it, it's other people's fault as well. well like who's who's coaching up. The outfielders, why were not why yeah. were they not in position? Why didn't they know to be in that position? Why didn't they make the play when they had to? And let's not forget that the double that started that rally for the Mets was also a misplay by Robles and Soto. Yeah. They that was a ball that was hit in the gap that hung up that could have been caught. Yeah. Um, and that allowed the runner to get on. That could have been one out. The and that entire complexion of the in, the inning could have changed. And then therefore the game. Yeah. But and look, they're young guys. They're both 20, 21 years old, you expect stuff like that to happen. But one, it's happened too much. And two, they're just not in a position right now. The, the veterans aren't picking up the slack to the point where the young guys can make those mistakes. They, they are not doing their job so that when the young guys make those mistakes, it's all the more evident. Like when, on opening day when Victor Robles – look, Victor Robles is at to the point now where he's making a base running error every other night or a fielding error every other night. That can't happen. But you expect that on a certain level from a 20- and 21-year-old and a center fielder, which is one of the hardest positions to play. Yeah, It's just that the, the, the rest of the offense, the veteran guys are not – Brian Dozier is not picking up the slack. Adam Eaton is not picking up the slack. They're not doing Jan it. Jan Gomes. Jan Gomes. They're, they're not – they're putting in the, the young guys in a position where the pressure's on them. All three of the guys we just mentioned had at least – I mean, it wouldn't go in the st- – Gorebook has an official error, but had a quote-unquote error in today's game, leading to the Mets scoring a run and and somehow affected the Nationals not being able to win the game. And yeah, we've also talked about that too. Is where you know it, this if this if the record was flipped if they're thirty-one and nineteen, you know Victor Robles's errors go kind of under the rug. It's like yeah, he's still learning, he's growing. Yeah. But the other guy, I mean, you there's no room for error for young players when the veterans aren't holding up their own. Yeah, and, and that's what you're touching on right now. And and this is something that you know, going back to the off season, looking at these acquisitions of bringing in Dozier, Gomes, Kurt Suzuki, 
um, Annabelle Sanchez in the starting rotation, bringing back Jeremy Hellickson. These are guys that veterans that you expect them to come in. You know, the numbers are what they are, but they at least go about their business the right way. They at least give their full effort. They they minimize mistakes, and they haven't done that. Even no. that, they haven't done the bare minimum of what they expected. They were expected to do, and then that again trickles down where now all of the errors by Victor Robles, by Trey Turner, by Juan Soto, yeah. um, by Wilmer Defoe when he's up here, by Michael Ate, all those get even more magnified because the veterans are leaving no room for error when they're supposed to. Exactly. And at this point, I think, Bobby, we, we should at some point look forward. I mean, I, I think at this point, I know you said you, you would wait until May 30th, May 31st, whenever Memorial Day. I don't even know when Memorial it, Day is. It's, uh, well, today's the 23rd. That's Thursday, so. It's Monday. Before. Yeah. So, like, May... It'll be May twenty seventh. Okay. Okay. So so Memorial Day. Yeah. So we're right up up in that time frame. And at some point when you're twelve games below five hundred, I you have to throw out your expectations, your preseason expectations out the window, right? Yeah. I mean I think yeah, even like come Memorial Day, even if you sweep the Marlins, then you're what, twenty three and thirty one, so but you're still Eight games under, yeah, five hundred, and, and you know who who knows where that leaves you in the standing. All right, maybe the saving grace, if there is any for the Nationals, is you know you actually look at the rest of the division, a division where that many people expected it to be one of the best in all of baseball. You can make an argument that it's actually one of the worst. It has yeah. the 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 first place. The Phillies has the worst record among first place teams yep. in all of baseball, and you look at their splits. Uh, they're, they these teams don't play well outside the division. They all have losing records against yeah. other divisions. So it's like this whole division isn't that great. As it's not just the Nationals. It's 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 all across the border. Difference is Phillies are twenty eight and twenty one. Yeah, they're, oh. they're still finding. Bryce Harper is being, you know, is is worse than he was last year, and, and and he was terrible last year. Yet the Phillies are still finding ways to win. Yeah. Oh, I mean, at at this point, and you can't even look at the division. Like you got to look. <laughs> It, it's a good benchmark at this point to kind of look at the division, but also, like they said a week ago, that they want to get back to just playing good baseball, right. and then the wins will come. They haven't done that. They've they played worse. Yeah. Like, so it, it's it's almost like you have to start... The division has been right there. Everything has been right there for them, and they're not even in the conversation. Right, because they cannot, like you said, even yeah. play good baseball, clean baseball. When was the last... I don't even remember the last time we talked about a clean victory yeah. on this podcast from the Nationals. And you look at the wins, you look, and some of them have been exciting because they've had to pull them out at the last minute. Right. Even some of the like, the you know, the best win of the year might have been that Trey Turner walk off. Well, that was a game that they, you know, was a sloppy, sloppy game that they needed a Trey Turner walk off in the ninth to win. Like they have had to rely, like so they've not played clean baseball and they haven't. I feel like they haven't had a wire-to-wire win in, like, two months, and that's the whole season. The only one that I can see looking at their schedule is uh, Patrick Corbin's gem in L.A. in the series opener against the Dodgers where they mm-hmm. shut out the Dodgers 6 nothing. But you're right. Like, I mean, I'm looking. Yeah, they beat the Phillies 8-10, to but they had a, they almost blew that game and yeah. had to come all the way back to win that game. Yep. Um, their win against the Cubs, that was gutted out. That wasn't, that wasn't an easy win. Oh, the, yeah, and then the, the, the Gerardo Parra, well, if they don't get that one grand slam, then, you know. It's a loss. You lose a, three out of four against yeah. the Dodgers. And, you know, they lost. They beat the Mets by one run last year, last week in D.C. They had another good 
outing from Patrick Corbin on Wednesday for a five. I mean, you know, you get, you just can't. Yeah, it's it's been like every Nationals game is like you're walking on eggshells yeah. or pins and needles because it's like okay, now, and it has to be in the players' mind. Now everyone's yeah. expecting something to go wrong. Like today, Paul, watching that eighth inning, they 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 put together some great base hits, grab the grab the lead in the top of the eighth, but you still felt like okay. There are three outs before you get it back to Sean Doodle. Yeah. And, and Doodle mentioned last night, it's like, hey, you know, if there's anything good coming out of it, I did all this mess on 12 pitches, so I'm yeah. still fresh for tomorrow. All you have to do is get three outs to get to Doolittle for the ninth and, and just pray, and they weren't even, even yeah. able to do that. Well, Bobby, I wanted to kind of look at – I was looking at the roster because if we're talking about selling, which at some point I think you do – with each passing day, you have to start doing it more and more. It, it's more becoming more yeah. relevant nationally. You know, national guys are talking about it. So, yeah, it's, it's a conversation that's peaking up. And I was looking around the roster, and I kind of broke it down into a few categories of guys that they won't trade, that I, I believe that are, quote-unquote, untouchable, guys that they might trade that might have some value – um, that those are the two lists. I don't think there's anybody that they definitely would trade, you know. So, um, that's kind of where it has to go. And when you look at like somebody used the example a few years ago when the Yankees were worse than they thought, and they ended up trading off Aroldis Chapman and having a, a fire sale right at the deadline, and then kind of speeding up that rebuild. That's what the Nationals might have to do because obviously I, I don't think that the ownership is going to go for I don't think it makes sense to go for a full rebuild at this point, but I think you have to start looking at shedding the contracts that are expiring, contracts that are going to get off your books very quickly so that you can still max out Max, uh, maybe Strasburg, and uh, some of the young guys, the middle veterans on this team like the Trey Turners, maybe if you re-sign Anthony Rendones, those kind of guys, so that you're not – because if you go into a full rebuild, you know you're you're either trading Max Scherzer or you're you're wasting his, you know, the last few years potentially that he's going to be very good. Right. So um, I think the the obviously not category I'm going to run through very quickly. Max Scherzer, I don't know though. Now I'm starting to think he might. You know, he he still has a whole lot on backload on his contract. He's what 34 at this point, so he's got. I think uh, he's got two years, 70 million left. Right, but a lot of it is. Deferred, Deferred, right. And that's the thing that teams might not want to pick up. Um, Steven Strasburg, he's got such weird contract situations because he's got a a player option after this year and after next year. I don't think teams are going to want to necessarily go for that. You never know. But, you know, that might make it hard to sell. Uh, Corbin, you just signed him. I don't think you need to trade him. And I don't think he's That'd be selling low. No. Um, Zimmerman, I mean, we can talk later on in the year about potentially retiring. He's not worth much at, at all at this point like anything playing. yeah uh dozier he's an impending free agent only signed that one-year contract but uh he's hitting 200 so i don't think you can move him at this point uh rosenthal obviously not nope uh, trey turner i don't think they would i think he's still t- so young that you would want to build around him um and i i don't think you know i think he's worth more to you right now than he might be to another team uh Michael A. Taylor, no, not worth anything, I don't think. Nope, uh, he's lost his value. Hellickson, nope, I don't think he, he has any value. Nope. The way that he's pitched this year. Who's going to trade for a guy that can maybe get you six innings? Yeah. If and, that. And then Soto and Robles, you don't want to trade. They're 20 and 21. Um, I, I don't think they have a deal either. No, I, I think with those two, you have to – I mean, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know if there's – I was going to say, I don't know if there's any – 
definite no's on this roster, like you were talking about right. with Scherzer, like, you know, it would be an obviously not two weeks ago, but yeah. now it's like, <laughs> yeah. okay, you might have to revisit that. But right. like you said, if you're going to try to do this Yankees, that Yankees um, strategy up, where, yeah, yeah, you just trade now and then kind of reset for the next year, I think you might have to go Soto and Robles being your corner pieces and, and like, and lock yeah. them up and give them a CUNYA type money and, and contracts so they're here for the long haul. Right. Um, so then you get into the category of the maybes. Um, Anibal Sanchez, I would say so maybe a couple weeks ago, but now that he's injured, you don't know. He would have to come back and prove that he's healthy. Uh, he does have a team option for 2020, so that gives the, whoever has him a little bit more power. Saw the deal with like Cole Hamels last year where you know the Cubs ended up picking it up, and they kind of liked that, I think, and that gave them yeah. more of a reason to trade for him. So maybe, but he's got to come back and show that he's healthy. Yeah. Um, beyond that, uh, Howie Kendrick, he's an impending free agent. Obviously still very good. Uh, can play almost any position uh, in, the, in pretty much in the diamond um, besides catch at this point. Matt Adams... Uh, there is a mutual option for 2020, maybe, but he would have to be, you know, it would have to be a similar deal as last year where he's traded to a team like the Cardinals as like a, uh, you know, a benched piece or some kind of a team that needs or a, a DH. A or, yeah, a yeah. Team, a DH is a, is a good call or a, a team that just needs a power bat off the bench to yeah. make that final playoff push. Um, Kyle Barraclaw, he's an impending free agent. You know, he hasn't been horrible for them. Um, that might have some value. Struggled the past couple of days. Yeah. Kurt Suzuki, veteran, up there in years, and he's got a lot of mileage on him, uh, under contract this year and next year, so through 2020. Then the other catcher, Jan Gomes, under, uh, he's got 2020 and 2021 team options, so that gives whatever team that could acquire him flexibility. Control, yeah. Then you got the couple guys that would spark the most conversation here, and that's Anthony Rendon and Sean Doolittle. What do you, what do, you do with those two guys? Obviously, Rendon is an impending free agent. I think if you were to trade him, you would be getting pennies on the dollar for what he's worth because you're only going to be trading him to a team that is a playoff team that just wants him for the second half of the year, for potentially. a couple, couple months, yeah. You know, with no guarantee that he would resign there. But this is the situation that you ran into with Bryce Harper last year. A lot of people wanted them to see wanted to see the Nationals trade Bryce Harper, and they didn't, right. thinking that they had a shot to resign him in the offseason. Right. And obviously that didn't turn out. And th- that's the thing is, it, it, you know, obviously the Nats know way more about this situation than we do of do they have a shot? Yeah. They will. And to, just to counterpoint my own self, it, it's <laughs> Trey. Oh, excuse me. Anthony Rendon has been way more vocal than Bryce Harper ever was about wanting to return sure. and stay here. Um, and, and he does seem more like the type that likes kind of like a Steven Strasburg type. We've talked about this where he, he feels comfortable here. This is where he would want to stay. Um, but then again, he also wants to be fairly paid. And, and, and yeah. from what everyone's heard, the two sides are nowhere near. Yeah. I mean, there was a rumor recently that uh, um, Scott Boris is going around saying that they're so far apart and that they missed the boat on Anthony Rendon. Yeah. Considering the year that he's having, his value could be going up and up as we speak. And yeah. if the Nats are already underselling him, you know, their odds are their number value isn't going to follow the, the stat line that has been going up and up and for him. Yeah, pretty so, damning... Um, Rumor coming right. from um, Grant Paulson at one oh six seven of the fan and yeah. and his sources. That was that was but to that point, mm. like that could also just be Scott Boris playing his little game yeah, that he right. likes to play sure. and just trying to start a bidding war for sure. Anthony Rendon. But if you're Anthony Rendon at this point, can seeing how this season has gone and seeing how your stats uh, have escalated and seeing the fact that there are very few valuable 
impending free agents coming up. A lot of them have gotten locked up over the past few months. And a lot of yeah, and it's just like not the way it is anymore. Yeah. It's 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 a lot of trades and a lot of guys signing yeah. extensions as opposed to right. wanting to hit the market because we've seen how the market yeah. doesn't play out. So then Anthony Rendon might want to take advantage of that. He might want to be the only guy on the market that is worth a, a huge mega hundred plus million dollar deal. Yeah. So maybe he's you know as with each day I'm I, if I were him I would be sitting back and saying I have less and less incentive to try to get an extension done here. Yeah, that's true. But, all, you know, I don't know. It, I, I would look at it this way, just a counterpoint, just by devil's advocate. Please do. You, you talked about the core that you want to build the round trade, Turner, Victor Robles, Juan Soto. You have Max for two more years, assuming you don't trade him. You have Strasburg for how many years, assuming, assuming the options are picked up. Um, you know, it, there are pieces that, you know, same with Sean Doolittle. There are pieces there but then you fall back to, well, but then the team philosophy has to change because we've seen yeah. it now, Paul. Something, uh, for yeah. How many years have we seen? Okay, you can't rely on piecing together the back end of the bullpen with washed-up veterans. You can't yeah. uh, go about piecing together a bullpen with guys who are unproven or yeah. have been out of the game for a year or so or have been hurt. You know, it's yeah. just not – this is not the way you get – all these other teams that are winning have – you know, spent the money, have yeah. have gone out and, and gotten proven guys because that's what it takes. You can't I, I think if if I'm if I'm Anthony Rendon, I would love to stay. There are good young core you car keep them on the rise. Good core group of young players here, but other aspects of the way yeah. how we approach this has to change because now it's been a couple of years where the same old thing is biting us in the butt. And it just feels like we're having a rerun of the Bryce Harper conversation. Right. In terms of, you know, the the Nats we thought that last year the Nats needed something to convince him to come back after they had seemingly everything in place, and they end up not making the playoffs by a, a good margin. Yep. So that is a whole conversation in and of itself. The yep. other guy I do want to get your thoughts on, though, Sean Doolittle. Obviously, closer. Uh, his ERA got blown to pieces by that by yesterday's Yeah, it went up by like two runs. Yeah, I it's mean, it like was a, a 335. Yeah, now. it was a minuscule, like, under two and I think, entering I think, Wednesday. I think he's still worth a whole heck of a lot at this I point. I do, too. I think he has a ton of value. Um, he's a lefty. He obviously has proven that he can close games before. His contract situation is he has a 2020 team option that makes Very it even, attractive. More, even more enticing. He is, if you're not going to trade Scherzer and you're not going to trade any of the guys that I lifted, listed earlier, he is the most valuable piece, I think, trade pure trade chip that you have right now. And of course, winning team or losing teams don't really need closers, um, you know. So the thing is, you, you're trading him to a contender, and you, at this point, he. If you are going to sell, it makes the most sense in my mind to sell Sean Doolittle. Yeah, and and Mark DeRosa on MLB Network today, they did a segment where they called the Duro demo, where he's demolishing. T- he, I mean, he's basically just went through all these proposed trades. Yeah. Um, and, and Sean Doolittle was the first one just because he's like, you know, like you said, lefty. He's the only proven guy in this bullpen. And he, he's the only good player in this. I bullpen. mean, and he got him like an elite closer in this, in this, yeah. in this game. Yes. And it's, it's, it's probably not being shown right now just because of the bullpen in its entirety. And again, we talked about earlier how he's been maybe stretched out a little bit too much because he's picking up so much slack. But, I mean, I think he might be your most valuable piece right now just because yeah. of his productivity, his track record, and 
how yeah. uh, how attractive like, his contract. Uh, yeah, how likable his contract is. Team friendly con- yep. his contract is in terms of is for the level of player you're getting. Yeah, cheap and then also controllable, and that's what teams want nowadays. Yep. And so that's your biggest cheap right now. And also, uh, Paul, as you know, the closer we get to the deadline, the closer teams guys yep. like you just said Those competitors offers. guys who are trying to teams that are running uh for the pennant and for the playoffs want to get bullpen help and closing and left-handed yep. so you know sean do a little the more he pitch continues to pitch well and 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 the way he should be hopefully he doesn't get burned out picking up the slack but he might be the most and assuming that the national season also doesn't keep keeps yep. going the opposite direction he could be the most valuable trade piece in all yeah. of baseball it would come be a, July. It would be a heck of a admission of fault and an admission that the season is not going the way that you wanted to by trading him. Uh, it wouldn't be as big of an admission as, and a, you know, waving the white flag as, say, trading a Scherzer, but it would be, it would be pretty tough. I think, yeah. And for Nationals fans who have, a lot of them have fallen in love with Doolittle, I would say he's one of the most recognizable guys on this team right now. Um, he's got a great attitude. Of course, we love him as a person, and he's so smart, and he thinks about the game in different ways. He would be a heck of a brutal loss and a heck of a brutal trade to make. But if if you think if, if in a few weeks, in a few months, if you are still at this point, if you are still totally out of it, and you think that he can significantly get you pieces that can bolster that farm system, I think you have to pull the trigger. You have trigger. to pull the trigger because I mean, what's the point of holding on to him if the rest yeah. of the bullpen isn't going to be doing exactly. their job? You're just going to ruin the guy. Yeah. Um, all right, Paul, there's a lot more conversations to be had, <gasps> a lot more stuff to go through as this national season continues. Hopefully, we'll be talking more positive things in the near future. You know, Can't be much worse. Well, that, and, and, and unfortunately, there is still a lot of time, so it could either get a lot worse or it could get better. Let's hope for, let's hope for the latter. Paul, where can the good people find you on Twitter? At Paul Mancano. I tell you that every time. At you always forget. Bobby underscore Blanco. Be sure to give Masson a follow at Masson Nationals across the platforms. Find the Masson All Access podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Give us a review and subscription, and we'll talk to you next time.